What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. This is a special one. Absolutely, man. I'm 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 super. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if stoked is the word. Um, very on edge uh, <laughs> uh, uh, during this one. I uh, I really uh, I thought that this is probably one of the most intense interviews that I've had to listen to you do. Uh, and I listened to it, even though there was video, um, but I just had, kind of had you in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah, if you haven't looked at your podcast player, uh, this episode's guest is David Gunn, vocalist for King 810, whose latest record, AK Concerto Number 47, 11th Movement in G Major, is out now. It's another self-release by the band. Uh, being a fellow Michigander, this band is kind of something of legend. Um, these guys have quite a reputation for them. And, uh, I think, you know, a lot of it is honestly unbiased, uh, maybe not unbiased. I think it's a lot of it is unwarranted because people I like, don't think listen to the actual music. I think they just see what they see across music publications and so forth. And then just assume that is what the music's going to sound like. Um, I think this record, honestly, is one of my favorite out of their discography. And as you'll hear me say in this interview, um, it's probably the most concise, well thought out uh, King 810 record that there is. It kind of touches on everything the band has done, but pushes them forward. And sonically uh, is, is just a really fucking great record. Josh Roder did a great job uh, mixing and mastering and all that with this record. Um, Dan, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to this or what your uh, affiliation with the band is, but uh yeah, this was a, a really intense, nervous conversation for me to have, uh, given the fact that David is a very uh, intense individual and doesn't really do a whole lot of press. And the few press things that he does are few and far between. And uh, as you'll kind of hear things sort of start off, he uh, doesn't really do shit if he doesn't fucking want to, which makes it a little bit harder to really honestly prep for something and just go how do you how do you even start having a conversation with someone that presumably doesn't even want to talk to you in the first place yeah yeah um i think uh i i think it definitely starts off that way but it starts getting a little bit more intense or it gets a little bit more intense in places but i think the tension in the room definitely set definitely settled uh, once you got about 10 minutes in, um, not even because it was an awkward thing, but he just laid out so clearly like why he doesn't like doing interviews <laughs> and why he doesn't like doing press. Um, and I remember texting you when I, when I got to that point and I was like, yeah, dude, I'd have just been like, okay, cool. Thanks. Bye. And signed off, you know? Um, but I mean, the conversation was definitely worth having. Um, and it was kind of cool getting to getting a look into the creative process because as far as I know, he's never really talked about any of that stuff, uh, talked about any of it really in, in any sort of official capacity. No, not really that I've seen. The longest thing I've seen him do was something he did, I believe, for Metal Injection, where it looks like someone went to his house and actually kind of talked to him about uh just kind of things going on uh suicide king i think was the only thing out at that point i think they were still working on on this newest record um and i kind of used a little bit of that just to kind of get a sense of who he is and and actually another thing i would love to plug um go listen to his old podcast the Guncast. uh there hasn't been a new episode since i think january of this past year i think was it's been about a year um but it really gives you an insight into who he is as a person, as well as some of the more, 
uh, inner workings and thoughts that he has when it comes to writing lyrics and how he approaches art as a whole. Uh, this is definitely someone who is an artist in the truest sense of the word and isn't just doing shit because someone's telling him he has to or has to put out a label. There's a lot of integrity in what he does, and I think that's very commendable, personally. Absolutely, man. Like, I, I think it's cool. I haven't got to hear the record yet, but uh, I am more interested in listening to it after hearing that interview. Uh, that makes sense. Um, got a band that's ever like that's been on my radar, but obviously, um, I've gotten into um, really more more through you. Well, uh, this is a longer chat, so uh, let's get right into my conversation with David Gunn. We'll talk to you on the other side of it. wasn't really told uh, if you have a hard out or anything like that if you have any more press after me um i was gonna shoot for like a half hour but i mean um we can talk as long as you want unless, okay. unless i become irritated i guess but no i don't i i only have this right okay. now so it's kind of funny you bring that up um and, and i'm already recording so this is just kind of rolling into it um so you know i know josh uh schroeder and I've been hitting him up the last couple of days since I got the record and was kind of just trying to get some information from him. And between him and Amy and like Alfonso, a mutual friend of ours and a uh, friend Rodney that I think you've known for a long time. I have been so fucking nervous uh, to, to do this because I know that a, you don't do a lot of press. You don't really give a fuck about it. <laughs> and so it kind of turns into this thing. The few times that, you know, you've done some long form interviews uh, like this that it just kind of seems like, you know, everyone wants to ask the same fucking questions where if you kind of do just a little bit of digging, you'd be able to find uh, the answers to those. And it just kind of also felt disingenuous to try to be like, all right, here's the pitch for the new record coming out because it doesn't seem like it's really like a thing you are all about either because it just from what I've seen and read, it just kind of seems like you're more of like, I made the fucking record and you can hear it. And that's yeah. what I think about it. So yeah. um, we, we would be in a lot better financial positions if we were better salesmen or better marketers. <laughs> so we'll drop a whole I, record and post one thing about it. Yeah. So as a result, it's very much been for me. Uh, initially, I wrote down probably hundreds of diff different questions and trying to find a narrative within there. And I just kind of kept coming back to the idea of I think it would just be better to have kind of a conversation based around some of the things living here in Michigan myself uh, and having seen the band for, you know, kind of around somewhat around the beginning um, yeah. of just kind of having answering, having you answer some questions that I've always kind of had and, and kind of seeing where it goes. So if you're I mean, I would assume you're fine with that based on yeah. spending all day listening to the gun cast today. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah you wouldn't so you're already off to a bad start soured soured palate already no but yeah we can we can we can do whatever you want man we can right. try to go through as much stuff as you have i don't so, avoid things like this um because there's no way to s kind of screen for integrity so mm -hmm. 
uh, I just do mathematical quantitative reasoning where uh, just do less than, you know, <laughs> that's the answer. It's not think, think more about it or have any type of facility set up to screen them. It's just don't do them. <laughs> I, I actually kind of feel like in the day and age now where there's so much oversaturization of, you know, the rollout for a record or even because of the social media world we live in where, like, you know so much about anybody at any given time that it almost becomes not necessary, like, to do half of these because it's like I can post and probably reach more people who are directly wanting to know what's going on with me or what music is getting ready to come out than this platform will. Um yeah. But, you know, I think that's the thing is journalism or podcast people or whatever feel that we have some kind of uh, something to offer. Um, and more oftentimes than not, the whole crux of this really, when I started, it was just to have conversations with people uh, that I found interesting. So, yeah, I always have a hard time uh, validating um, or justifying anything that we do, which is why, again, we don't do a lot because... I got to really feel good about something to do it. And if I don't, then I would just rather not do it, you know, because I've, I just feel like I'm not offering anything to the world, I guess, you know, and I know I'll fall out of Lou with it as well if I don't sincerely care about it. So I don't really do too many things that I don't care about or uh, uh, don't. Yeah, I don't know. Even in life. <laughs> so something in listening back to what so far is the last episode of, of your podcast, you bring up something that, you know, you are someone who will read or watch something. Uh, if Someone basically recommends it just kind of out of curiosity to see what it's about. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, when my wife and I were traveling somewhere, she was watching a Ted talk on, on the screen and had me listen to it and was like, Oh, this is you. And basically the, the Ted talk, and I wish I could remember who it is. I should have looked it up uh, beforehand, but um, she talks about this, this concept of being a multi-potentialite where essentially we grow up and we're told or we're asked, I should say, you know, what do you want to be singularly? As children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And that that concept is actually kind of damaging because it makes you not ever think of, well, I could be this, 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 and these things. I'm more multifaceted into a lot of different things that interest me as a person because we're not one-dimensional. And it kind of has made me wonder after hearing you kind of say, you know, that you are a curious person uh, in general – would you a maybe agree with this concept of being like that people are that some people I should say uh, have the ability to be multi potentialites and exceed and excel in different facets, but adversely, do you think maybe this mentality is why you are so diverse with your music, not only with King or uh, Yavid, uh or Yavid, I'm sorry, um, but maybe whatever else you've done that you haven't released yet. Um, yeah, I think like most things that we put on kids, it is damaging. 
there's <laughs> I would be I would be hard pressed to find something that wasn't actually but you know so yeah that's just one of those things most people around here I was thinking when you when you said it young people around me kind of give the same equal asinine answer to the to the asinine question and they don't even have a singular um occupation or career whatever you may call it they just say successful <laughs> like what do you want to be when you grow up well you're going to ask me a stupid question i'm going to give you a stupid answer i just want to be successful that doesn't mean anything but it's kind of appropriate because neither does the question but um yeah it's always been like that. I think sometimes people have a hard time grasping it because um, either they aren't like that or they're not uh, as curious, I guess. Um, I think also, I don't know if I ever talked about this on there, but I think interesting people are interested and things you know a lot of a lot of people uh, not in a self-obsessed or egotistical way but it seems that those that are interesting or or have some things going on they tend to also be very interested in what it is is going on around them or with other people or or anything you know so yeah, I've always been curious about everything, even things I don't like, even things I don't that aren't going to help me in the future, even things that uh, might be bad for me, things that I don't necessarily. And I try to make sure no nothing leaves a ta uh, bad taste in my mouth either. If I have a bad experience or something, I can't stand the Yelp review ideology where <laughs> you go online, you read one person's bad time. And uh, you never stop to to think to yourself, uh, when was the last time I had a really good time and left a good review? You know, Absolutely. It, the Yelp don't matter when 100% of the people are leaving reviews because of their bad time. It's not it's not necessarily a good a good pool. And that's how I feel about um, everything in life. I think it's just rigged. Yeah, strangely. Question, I don't know. I don't know how to answer the question. Always, music was like a thing that I liked, you know, and I started doing the rap thing before being a musician because it was no barrier of entry. Like we, me and, and, and Josh always say, no one in the hoods playing hockey because pads are probably a grand. And you have to have transportation and shit, but like people are playing basketball or, uh, you know, in South America or in, in over, over there, they play, you know, football or soccer or whatever. The, because all you need is just a ball, you know? And that was kind of like writing uh, rap and poetry, whatever, just writing. You need a pencil, you get those, you know, not, not, not too difficult to come by a pencil or, or not because you don't actually have to write it down. And then you kind of, you have to have things. To me, to me, a band was the hockey version of that, you know? 
you have to get a $500 guitar or whatever, or $200 guitar or a few hundred dollar amp and a few, but you're just sitting there like, what the fuck is all this shit for kind of thing. So when I went back to it, it was almost like going backwards. Didn't really make any sense. And people are kind of like, oh, oh, he's rapping now. But anyone here knows that I was doing that before that. But it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter uh, what people know. Although, if you listen to the thing, I, I do um, touch on um, the idea that we as a group are bad for our own brand. Uh, <laughs> because the more we expose, the more like counterculture that it is, which is pretty funny because it's counter our own culture. But um, yeah, I, I said it a few times as well. We know what works with King and we can do it and we can make full albums of it and it'll probably be much more well-received than if we go in there and start playing with things we've never done. And I don't think people can wrap their heads around that idea because even people that say what I just said, you pragmatically in practice, it's not true. Every band says the same thing after every time they release a new album, it's the heaviest back to the basic darkest. This is the heaviest darkest. And it's never the heaviest. It's never the darkest. It's actually always the shittiest. And if that were the case, why does everything suck? Why does everyone suck? And why are there no good records? If you're doing your heaviest, darkest back to the whatever, well, first off, you're just running in place, which is what the new song's about. But it's not true. That's why the industry is a joke and no one is getting anywhere. And it's a, it's a, it's a, essentially like a quicksand industry. I think something that's kind of always interested me and, you know, there's not been a ton of opportunity for me to kind of talk a whole lot about rapper hip hop on this podcast. We are labeled a predominantly metal hardcore podcast, even though I, I mean, truth be told, and I've been talking about it quite a bit on our live cast we've been doing, but honestly, if we went off of album of the year based on what I've listened to the most this year, it's probably going to be TLC's crazy, sexy, cool. And I keep finding things in that record uh, from a production standpoint, from some of the enunciations of words that I don't know why they got broken up that way. There's just something about it that keeps me coming back. And in some instances too, with like Janet Jackson, with the era, you know, where Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were still producing a lot of stuff, uh, not only for her, but just kind of the sounds as a whole. It, it just kind of reminds me of, maybe a simpler time in music uh maybe as me as a a fan or i guess more to the point as a uh consumer of these things but as i've gotten older i, I just kind of find new things in it that keep me coming back but something you know that i think is kind of interesting in, in a career that i've always kind of admired and I know it's a more popular person, but, you know, Jay-Z, I think, is someone that's really been interesting because there is the first couple of records, you know, he put out Reasonable Doubt, Volume 1, Volume 2, and it's very much about the come up. Yeah. Then you kind of got the Black Album, you have uh, the Blueprint, and it's more about kind of shifting from being a street hustler to being a hustler in all avenues of your life to now over the last handful of records especially this last one it's more about being a man it's more about growing up and understanding who you are looking back and kind of 
being able to maybe pass tribal knowledge to those who are listening. And I think in a career, he is one of the few that has traversed and aged really well and not just been the dude who for nine albums over a 20 year career is like still fucking talking about, you know, the come up, the come up, the come up. And it's like, well, either the come up ain't never happening for you or you need to change some shit or something. But like he is one of the few that I've really seen kind of grow as a, at least as a lyricist you know, I, I could go on with Kanye and what he's done more from a production standpoint. Um, but it, it's one of those that I think that's one of the few careers I've really seen where someone has grown maybe not how most people would look at it. And I feel like that's kind of what you guys have been doing is, you know, like I said, I remember going to uh, SYS Fest. Don't remember what year that was. I think it was like 07 or something. And I was actually buying a shirt from Josh or a hoodie from Josh. And you guys are playing after them. And I think I don't remember what happened. I don't remember if you just not kicked over the PA uh, in front of you or whatever. But I remember something happening. And I was just like, oh, what the fuck's happening over there? I was like, King, you know, getting in trouble. And he was like, wouldn't be a King show if it wasn't. And I was like, yeah. And then we just went back to what we were doing. Yeah. And I think that was kind of the, the nucleus of you guys working together. But um, I know that from being kind of a fan of you and the band around that era and seeing where you guys have gone, especially on this new record, I feel like this new record is kind of a more fully realized you guys. Uh, I think the production kind of is meeting the intensity and, and what you guys are, have been trying to do. I mean, you've said it yourself a few times in other interviews that some of the stuff before you felt is a little clunky. It wasn't so cohesive from start to finish and giving a full on presentation of what you want. And I feel like this record is really one of the first examples where I think this is the first fully realized King album from start to finish. And I think is going to really surprise a lot of people. No, thanks. I think that's kind of cool to hear. It's cool because, uh, not because I like when people agree with me, but um, it seems genuine, not like I suspect you as being disingenuous, but it seems like um, something you couldn't just throw out there, I guess, without under understanding what it is, which sounds funny for me to say but i feel the same way about it too i think it was as if we were some type of unskilled chefs creating a dish that was above our pay grade in the past and it seems like this one is not perfect it's it's not our magnum opus but it is our best effort uh, to blend those ingredients. Um, together, I guess, and make something new and interesting, you know? I had a real problem with all the things that we wanted to do. And I have hundreds of songs and they're all good, but it's really hard to get on top of this thing that I have in my imagination that isn't really explainable, I guess. Ineffable would be the, the word to describe. I, 
I know I'll know it maybe when I hear it, but I just keep trying to chase it and I haven't got there yet. But each one gets closer and this is the closest to it that I feel like we've come. So I think it is the most cohesive amalgamation of, of things that we've done in the past. Instead of having something like this type of thing or that type of thing, it is every song is everything, you know? So you get tastes of everything that we kind of have played with in the past. You get tastes of that in every song, you know? That makes sense, kind of what you kind of what you were saying. I think you said it better, but that was kind of how I felt about the whole piece, you know, itself too. Something you have said previously on, and I'm going to, I mean, I keep referencing the, the podcast that you did, the gun cast. Um, like I said, I've been listening to it all day just to try to find maybe answers to questions I had. So I didn't have to ask you something where there already is an answer as articulate or as best as it can be from you straight from the source something you had kind of said is you you know because i always find it's interesting when an artist or a band or whatever puts a record together when they know it's done um and something you had kind of said was that you don't necessarily know when it's done it's something that you feel inside like you're like this collection of songs i feel like this is what this album is going to be or this collection uh is going to be because it changes who I am when I'm done. And like, that's kind of what signifies that it's the experience is, is complete. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of almost like a chrysalis of sorts. Like, do you feel like you kind of go through that experience where it's almost, you know, kind of a, a moth turning in or a caterpillar turning into a butterfly kind of effect where you start off as one thing. And then because of the process, it has morphed you into now this other I won't say another being, but basically someone else entirely because of the process of either getting out what you do on the record vocally, lyrically, um, or just the process of actually creating and, and putting out when working with Josh and, and everybody else. Um, is that kind of a fair assessment or? Yeah, I think you could explain it a bunch of different ways, but I think they're all the same. So the really short answer would be knowing when it's done is like you feel that that it's done. But the chrysalis thing works as well. They're all the same way of saying that I guess it's just done to me. Me and Josh made this whole thing um, just us. And the last one as well. And there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in the idea, which I talk about constantly, which you probably heard me talk about, in the idea of music, because it's, so, it's such a bullshit industry uh, as far as when something works, you just point to the reasons why it worked 
and those are only the ones that you can you you can see but how to basically find out if that's bullshit which is something i've talked about before as well is you can point to other things that did the same thing and didn't work so that's almost like proof of that that wasn't it you were mis you're misidentifying some things here but i say that to say anyone is going to think the record's done when it's out because it's done and that's all you have like you're not you're not a guy that goes to a restaurant and gets to go sit in the kitchen and see if you know it's really as good as you thought it was on the back end than, than it than it is when it comes out on the, on the plate so knowing it's done is just it means something to me that i guess it might not mean to other people i'm over it could be knowing it's done but that's not as poetic as what you said uh, as far as <laughs> i'm tired of it i'm sick of it it's due um all of these are knowing uh, that it's done and i try not to put any of those things around me you know our stuff's never do our stuff is never um all those people that sit around people saying shit don't we don't have those you know so knowing it's done just means me and Josh say that it's done and it usually comes with the first few days in the studio will be kind of brainstorming sessions that have nothing to do with music and it kind of comes back to that curiosity where you talk about things that you want to achieve or things you want to try or things that you're setting out to do and it's done is when you've done that sometimes we'll get somewhere and there'll be 11 12 13 songs whatever it might be and it doesn't feel like it's done. It doesn't mean it's not done. It means you haven't done what you came to do. It doesn't have anything. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to add another thing. It could mean that you didn't do what you came to do as well on the 12 or 13 or 14 that you've done. It could mean that six of them suck. It couldn't, it could mean a whole bunch of different shit, but I, uh, I kind of set out each one with a whole uh, toolbox of things that I want to do. And so is Josh, luckily. And um, we kind of hit, chip away at them until, until we get them solved. I don't want someone to listen to this one and say that, you know, they didn't hear me do something new. And I don't think you can because no. I did some, some really different things on, on this one that I think maybe are cool, but maybe they suck. Just trying some stuff. I think something about this record to me that's sort of – actually, I'll, I'll start it more at the beginning of the thought. You know, Josh is someone that is – what I think when when I think of what a producer is, I think it's 
what some of the great producers have done. You look at a Ross Robinson, you look at some of these these other people who basically are able to extract the best out of the people they're working with and want to make the songs as best as they can. And that's giving their input as well as to how to make it better other than just coming in and going, here are your songs, I'll hit record, and then whatever, I'm getting paid regardless. That there's more art to it from what he does. And so I know that Josh is one that wants to explore anything that will make the song go from good to great because he wants greatness. What has the working relationship been what has that working relationship been like for you to have someone who's just willing to explore any and all ideas? Uh, good. It's been good since the beginning. I didn't really care for him and didn't really care about meeting him at the beginning. Uh, a mutual friend had introduced us and I didn't really, um, I know it's closed minded or whatever, but, I don't really care. I don't look for friends. I don't need friends. I don't need to know any more people or do anything like that. But um, by my estimation, this is another funny thing to say, but it's probably not true. But everyone that I encountered in that world, you know, uh, that universe of band dude, (laughs) I didn't like. So I was I had no interest in going and meeting more band dudes and uh i just said i'd give it a try and he seemed okay and um i didn't really care um about finding a friend or i also didn't love the person that introduced us (laughs) at, uh, (laughs) at all um, so he didn't have much rapport, but I was entertaining it again out of curiosity and the first one was good. We had some songs and we were doing this and, and he was okay. And I had a, a songwriting partner back then in twerk, um, our drummer at the time. So I wasn't looking um, for one. I wasn't looking for a songwriting partner at the time. I already had one. But as time went by, I would lose, you know, I would lose him as one. And I kind of picked up with Josh. And it was gradual, though. So So the first record... You know, me and Twerk were heavy-handed on on writing, and on the second one, we we showed some cool things, and 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 Josh contributed in some cool ways as well, a little bit. And then on the second one, Josh kind of made his his presence known a little bit more, uh, not really forcefully, but. I found that I was more attracted to what he was trying to do, his spirit, I guess, of what what he was trying to do. And I was starting to be unattracted to Twerk's spirit uh, as as a writer. I'm not 
for any reason, personal reason, but he wasn't going places that I was wanted to go. He was uh, compromised by my definition, which isn't objective at all. I, he was going places that I wasn't interested in. You know, it would be like him saying, I'm going on a vacation here. It's just not, it's not a place that I wanted to go. Mm. Not because it was weird or dangerous or anything. I just wasn't interested. I didn't, it wasn't good to me. I don't, I don't know why. So I had uh, leaned on some of the stuff that Josh was working on and he was doing the same with us unknowingly at the time, basically when he found out that we wanted to do weird things, you know, outside of whatever could be hammered out on a guitar and a bass guitar and drums. And then on the third one, it was just us. So it was a, it was a step-by-step thing, you know, that we were just becoming better acquainted and in, we were kind of syncing up with each other in the, in, in the writing. It could have been for necessity because I was now alone, you know, with, when in doing things. Um, yeah, obviously I have Gene, but bass, what is that? Bass is like, it's a, it's not the most, what would that be called? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to call it, but I kind of always had that uh, as a partner. And then as he was kind of, and he, he was probably fading in by his own, by his own, um, you know, he was having a bunch of things in life where he wanted to go a separate way too. So when I say something like he was trying to go somewhere, I didn't want to go. That could have very well be not being a musician. You know what I mean? So, um, it just came in little doses of, I was starting to sync up with, with Josh a bit more and he was able to kind of take, take me to the edge of something. And I was able to also kind of push him to the edge of what he was thinking and expose some novelty and something to him that probably, you know, I don't know who he works with, but I imagine I don't care to know. And he was probably getting something, uh, whether it's good or bad, strange for me. And I was probably getting some, some looks from him as well. So I think it was just a complimentary kind of mutual relationship where he was showing me things because he's nothing like me and I'm nothing like him. He's a Canadian first off, but um, it, it works in a way where he's, he's constantly bringing new ways of looking at things uh, into the mix and it's, and it works. It's a good, it's a good partnership. And I think it was, it's the best one and, and it was appropriate and it's a, that's where it was going from the beginning. I don't feel at all like something's missing. People, people are, are misinformed. Uh, every record we do is really different than that last one. And because we may change a member or whatever, people think that that has something to do with it, but it doesn't. It's just because we'll never, 
really make the same one twice, I guess. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with so-and-so's departure or we switched this or did that. It never has. Um, it was always going to be whatever I said it was going to be. Not, not to be like that, but um, the input has always been been very little, you know. There's always only been two songwriters, so it was kind of a natural thing, I guess. It's funny, last night, uh, my co-host and I were doing a, a live cast thing, and we were talking about, got to talking about songwriting and how a lot of people are under the assumption that a band is more of a democracy where all five people will have an opinion and that's what makes the sound, quote unquote, of a band. And the more you kind of get nerdy and, and dig into what makes a band a band. And I mean, honestly, you can apply it to a lot of things. You can apply it to business. You can apply it to just about any relationship, really. There always kind of has to be a leader and a follower. Um, there always has to be a Steve Jobs and a Waz. There always, you know, there always, uh, there always has to be two, I guess. A page and a plant. You don't. Yeah, it's not one. It's a Joe Perry and a, and a Steven Tyler. It's a, It's always two. Sometimes it's one, I guess, but hmm, those are unremarkable. <laughs> you know, in listening to not only your music, but I'll, I'll say more to the interviews and press and, and the podcast you've done, because I, I tend to find that I personally like to learn more about the person and where these stories are coming from or what inspired uh you know the songs and so forth because then i think it allows me to possibly understand it a little bit more um you know i'm never going to i'm never going to be able to fully understand what it was like to grow up in the projects of brooklyn like you know and jay-z raps about and stuff like that or like nas or any of these people but mm -hmm. i can take their lyrics i can take what they've talked about in press and i can try to put that through the the lens of my own life and what i've gone through and try to find parallels and something that's been interesting to me always is that it seems like you are just kind of a, a student of life um taking in anything and everything as a learning opportunity to possibly make more informed decisions down the road uh, or not make hasty decisions necessarily. And it's kind of made me wonder, you know, cause you've said a couple of times in this, you know, that the music business is, is corrupt and shitty and all that kind of stuff. And that's no secret really to anyone who listens uh, to a lot of these kind of podcasts and so forth. But it has made me wonder, seemingly you are a very DIY kind of person. Um, what is something that you took away maybe for as a positive experience uh, and have been able to apply now that you're back to being an independent artist? What is something that you learned from being in the major label system? And then I guess kind of the follow-up to it is what is something that you took into that realm that you've seen has changed maybe that other people have kind of taken from you, whether it be from the label side or even maybe other artists who have done things that you did that weren't the norm at the time? Um, the short answer would be, I'm so unaware of what everyone's doing that I don't know what they may have taken. Um, 
And then another uh, facet, kind of a side note would be, I don't want to seem like I know what I'm talking about or claim that anyone should take my advice because I don't think I have good advice. I hate uh, being independent. Uh, I hate DIY. I hate administrative tasks. I hate errands. I hate phone calls, talking, conversations, interviews, uh, uh, interfacing of any kind, uh, a text message, um, uh, running a store that people buy merch from, uh, naming songs, uh, all these playing shows, uh, load in, pack up, yeah, stand on stage, everyone looks at you, uh, talk between songs. I don't like any of this. So that just means I really enjoy making music because pretty much every other thing sucks. So I don't encourage people to go that way if they're not those type of people. And I kind of did through necessity, not because I'm that kind of person. I'm not a DIY person. I actually hate it. Uh, I want to rip my skin off. Whenever I have to answer an email about anything, um, it's not enjoyable. It is actual work to me. I don't think I have a job, but I definitely think I work because I work to me is just doing things you don't enjoy. Um, because you have to, and I don't have that attitude that I work my ass off, but I do do things I don't enjoy <laughs> for, which is all of this, um, besides creating music, which I, I do like, um, I would like to hire someone to do all of it because I don't want to, that's the one thing that's good about the label. But it, it's two sides of a coin. Um, it's kind of like politics. It's just like the lesser of two evils, you know. The, the people you have handling X, Y, and Z and paying X, Y, and Z, uh, you know, it's good because you have someone paying a marketing budget for something. But it's bad to have to go through nine people to get to why you may have spent 10 grand on a splash page on a website that you didn't know you, you spent. You know what I mean? And, and the reason why is because it's bureaucratic, you know, bureaucratic process. Um, so it is the blessing and the curse. It is um, just as bad as it is good. There's not uh, more good or more bad. The the DIY argument's really stupid, uh, I think, because most people making the DIY argument were on majors. <laughs> so you're a fucking clown uh, because your label spent millions of dollars marketing you and then you went independent and now you're saying everyone should go DIY. But the guy that's always been DIY that doesn't have any major label marketing money and never did have, he will never be where you're at. And, and it's very unlikely for him anyway. And and you're a prick for uh, trying to kind of, I call it parroting, you know, you're just repeating what you, you hear because it sounds good. And also because you don't know better. And if it were challenged with anyone with six or eight brain cells, uh, you would realize that it's, it's not true. And you really don't have any business telling everyone to go independent because uh, a label was once paying 
paying a bunch of money for people to know who you were. And after they paid a bunch of money so people knew who you were, you went independent and sold records to those people that they had essentially purchased. So um, those people suck, and I don't want to be one of those people. And there were just as many good things about being on a label as were bad. But maybe one more bad thing than good. So it was like, again, just like politics, you know. It was 51 verse 49. That was me being the type of person I am, uh, not liking all of those things I just listed. Interfacing with people is a big deal to me, and I don't like to do it. So that is way higher on my list than what it might be on your list. It might be completely worth it to you because it might not be uh, the top of your uh things that you would rather not do list. It might, some people do it with ease, you know, extroverted people just, it's, they get energy from that shit, but I just get weak and pissed. So it was something for me to try. And it it goes back to the me and me and Josh question that you asked earlier. We had already done a few major label releases. Um, I didn't want to just stay on the treadmill. Even I'm, It's not even anything against them. If they called me today and were like, you want to do the next record with us? I'd probably say, yeah, just because this one wasn't with them. Uh-huh. Not just going after novelty, but I guess just, well, tell me, tell me why and what, what you're thinking and what we can do kind of thing. And if there's a new thing in front of us, then... I'd be open to try it. It was, it wasn't abandoning them. It was more just looking over here at this other thing, you know, trying to do it ourselves, seeing what that was like, seeing who I didn't see and how many headaches I could save myself, seeing how it worked, seeing if it worked, you know, it takes some balls to be on a major label. And then they offer you a check for your next album and you just don't respond and then go release it yourself. I, I I think you just have to know what you want, I guess. I don't like saying things like that because they're stupid and everyone says that, but I don't know. I, I feel like to a degree, you know, the last part of what you were just saying, I feel like is exactly the same I want to say problem because that's not the word I want to use. Um, it's almost the same situation that Dave Chappelle found himself in. You know, dude gets offered what, fifty million dollars to do one of the you know best comedy shows of the time of the era or ever, uh, depending on who you ask. But he had integrity um, that he knew that that money came with something and that he wasn't willing to sacrifice. Uh, as well as the expectations that come along with with those kind of things. And I think it's kind of commendable that those that are able to walk away from something like that, because, I mean, money is money, and it makes the world go round, unfortunately, at times. Um, And, you know, anyone can sit there and say, oh, well, I would have taken it, or I would have done this. And you don't know what the fuck you would do in anybody else's situation, because you're not that person. You're not those situations or circumstances that have led all of those people there. But I do think it is commendable to be able to 
have some of the perceived headaches be taken away by being on a label and you going, I fucking want to see what happens if I do it on myself. Basically going all in on yourself. I think that's more commendable and I think teaches you more about you in the long run than doing something I think would either compromise maybe your vision down the road, not saying you specifically, but the general, um, as well as if you choose to down the road, deciding to sign with a label or whomever again, that maybe you'll be able to come into it going, these are the things I want and not having to make more concessions uh, that will compromise either your vision or yourself or whatever. So I always I think that's actually kind of commendable, especially in a day and age where the narrative probably is, well, they got dropped, not that you wanted to challenge yourself. Yeah, that's all it was. I mean, I I try to think of other reasons why it was, but it was I I could still call any one of them on the phone and they'll pick up. You know, I was just talking to them earlier about this uh, record. But, yeah, we never had the concessions conversation. When we signed, we could do whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted, and they gave us a shitload of money. And they never once even told us to change a note. Hmm. So there was never dream sacrifice there. That was never, that doesn't even come onto the table. I think that's an old argument too. I don't know anyone whose dreams are getting ripped off. (laughs) I don't, I always, I always say this and it's not to defend them. It's, it's, it's because it's, it's Darwinism. I I say on on the podcast, I always love when people get ripped off (laughs) because that shit needs to happen. Just like, it's not politically correct, but I like when people in life are, they display whatever is distasteful about them because they ostracize themselves and that's good. So like say a hot button topic today is like racism. When someone's racist, it's good because everyone knows to stay away from that person. If you, if you kind of just muffle it and censor it and then like bury it or ban them or do whatever, that's bad news. That's like having an infected cut that you just kind of ignore mm. or having a mental trauma or something wrong with your brain that you suppress. You, everyone knows how those things come out. They come out the other end crazy. And I feel like it's the same. It's, it's like this, the same thing that we're, we're kind of circling around. I don't, it's really hard to, to say true things, I guess, and make things clear. And because the world's not really built like that. The world is built on uh, just reactive, triggering, enraging type of information, explicit information, uh, nothing no practice whatsoever. I always tell people when they, when you're talking to someone, I think I've said this before, and they pull out their phone and start Googling, I always tell them like, I could Google it, the sky's green right now and find you six scientific articles that prove it. It means nothing, you know nothing. Um, 
Don't refer to your phone when you're talking to me. Um, it's bullshit, but it's kind of the nomenclature bullshit layer that everything is reverted to. I was talking to my friend about it earlier, how I think we could kind of stop using the term clickbait because it's now transcended into the, into the atmosphere. It's, it's not click or bait anymore. Uh, mainstream news does it, you know, I seen a seen an article on ABC or CNN or something that some guy was saying that we might have to send the SWAT team into the white house. Cause Trump's not coming out. It's just like the stupidest shit you can imagine, but it really is what people rally around and talk about uh, over coffee in the morning. It, they really repeat these things. Like we got this moronic loser now, like claiming that he has a stuttering problem and he throws a few kids up on the news that say he's an inspiration. And now everyone believes he's a stutter instead of just believing he's a senile moron that it's just all, um, you know, journalism, it really don't exist anymore. It's just enraged, raging kind of reactionary. No one's, there's no such thing as a fact checker. You can say whatever you want because everyone has, you know, the 30 minute amnesia. It's ridiculous. It's not, it's, it used to be an online thing where you could get people to, to click on your article if you said something outrageous or like national Enquirer. But now it's everyone. Everyone is. Um, Everyone's a brand now, though. Yeah. Brand. It's it's the same for everything, you know. It it's kind of transcended outside of the internet, and now people people say it. You can hear it in conversations. You hear it in conversation form. They kind of speak in tweets and stuff, and it's like. <laughs> Hey man, there's a few words in that in there that you just said that I know you don't know the definition to. I know you're repeating that because I've never heard you use that word before. I've known you for 20 years. Just stop, you know. I think something that's kind of interesting that you said is you know people will bring out their phone to to more or less I guess quote unquote prove a point. Something a conversation my wife and I have had several times, and something I I reiterate quite a bit because you know I'm 36 and I I didn't always have the world's knowledge in theory you know at my fingertips. Yeah. Something that I find interesting as I get older is actually the opposite of what you said. I tend to find people won't look at anything. They won't try to fact find themselves in either direction, whether you can find 10 articles that'll support what you say, but then also try to find 10 that don't, and then try to maybe find something that's in the middle that maybe is more of the truth between the two, uh, and forming your own ideas. Uh, you know, my wife constantly gets on me for being on my phone quite a bit. And a lot of it is, you know, prepping for something like this, but also just kind of being curious. Like, you know, one day I had really bad bumblebees or something at the end of our driveway that were in our telephone pole. And I was like, is there ever a point where either they're dormant or whatever? So I can either spray them to try to get rid of them. So I don't, you know, they don't sting me or any of the children that live, you know, nearby. And I was Googling it. My wife was like, you're always on your phone. I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually trying to see like, 
and learn something. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, well, what'd you find? I was like, well, they don't, these bees, if they are what they appear to be, don't actually sleep. They just kind of go into a very dormant, very like they don't move around a whole lot, but they're still moving. Yeah. Um, but that's typically at night uh, when kind of everything is sleeping sort of. And so that was something where I wanted, I had a question and I went and tried to find an answer. And yeah. I don't tend to see that people are willing to do that. They just go, oh, I had this thought, and then <laughs> gone. Don't yeah. even want the knowledge. Yeah, there's no real inquiry. Um, that's kind of I – was, I was a little unclear uh, when I was saying it. Yeah, I meant to say that there is no research. They do pull out their phone, and it's the knee jerk. It's the – you know, they read the headline, mm. and, and, that, and that's it. I just don't, that's the reason why I dislike that type of thing, I guess, because it's not, um, well, it's wrong. Uh, it's, it's designed for you to click and um, get a reaction. So it, it can't be neutral in any way. It can't be unbiased in any way. You know, that news outlet's owned by someone who owns someone who has a political opinion, who have constituents and lobbyists and all these other things. So I'm not like a person but you know um i think when you internalize information you don't have to pull out your phone and that's not to say i know everything i just mean in physics they have something called first principles if you understand them not physics or first principles but if you understand fundamentally some things a handful of things You don't need to research. You know what I mean. You don't need to do any research. Still talking to you. Um, Sorry, you're fine. Uh, not to, not to get on some different kind of ideas, but like the idea. I just read an article a few minutes ago. I don't, I don't know why. I guess morbid curiosity and emphasis on the morbid. Uh, there was an article that came out uh, that said. Uh, science studies show that wearing a mask, uh, COVID, whatever, benefits the wearer just as much as the as the, as the other person. Because you, you remember the little political spin was my mask benefits you, yours benefits me, and it's just like you don't have to know that's bullshit by being a scientist. The mask is paper. Um, it doesn't work one way and not the other. It works the same way both ways. There was no study that needed to be done to, to know that. You know what I mean? Rather you b- believe in whatever's going on or whatever, or the effectiveness or not, or whatever it may be. And now you hear people repeating that all around. And you're just... Whenever someone has, there are, there are terms and phrases. This is something I would probably talk about on the podcast, but I've been too depressed to do podcasts. Um, there are taglines and like punchlines and phrases. Me and, me and Josh were talking about this the other day that I kind of have uh, here and saved, like earmarked, uh, as big red flags for when people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, and there are, it's not a complete list. I only have a few, but 
there are funny turn of phrases, little platitudes, little things like that, where when someone uses them, you can guarantee that they have no clue what the fuck it is they're talking about. And it's cool to, uh, it's cool to kind of keep track of those. I don't know how interesting that is to you, but to me, to me, it's interesting when you can walk around with a little category of, okay, he's using that. He's, he can't be trusted. He's been compromised. Don't listen to anything he says. Cause he's just borrowing shit from tastemakers that he uh, has came across that he seem agreeable. Well, I think the problem is now sort of going back to the, the sometimes people aren't willing to have a thirst for knowledge or try to grow. I also think adversely people are afraid to to show that they don't know something or admit that they do. That's it. Actually, it, they don't, they're afraid to admit that they don't know something. I would rather say, I don't know this. Explain it to me. Teach me whatever so I can learn. Or more to the point, I just don't want to be a, I don't want to perpetuate stupid, like not stupidity, but I guess that's also hand in hand with it. I just don't want to perpetuate something I heard, but I don't know anything about just so I can be included in the conversation. I guess maybe that's a lot of it too, is I don't always feel like I needed to be included in something. If I don't fucking know it, then I have no problem either being like, I don't know. I don't care, care, care whatever. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that that's, I think, part of it too. And a big part of it is I just think people aren't willing to admit that they don't know everything. Yeah, I think it takes a little bit of courage. Um, and it's kind of, it, it, take, it takes a little bit of a bravery, but also it's, it's kind of like an ego check, I guess. Um, when you say... I don't know, or there, or kind of not being a part of the combo. That's kind of how I feel about everything in life. As far as just being in the, what would it be? The, the scene or the, um, what would this be? industry i guess in the industry so you couldn't care less about being here i'm not identifying with it at all it's not part of my identity and it's not who i am it happens to be something i'm doing but i really couldn't care less if that were a part of it because i would be doing the same thing either way so kind of uh in wrapping up um something that i've kind of wondered you know having a handful of friends that are basically in the industry being in signed bands and so forth and kind of having been involved in them at a very young age, you know, late teens, whatever. And thinking about how you as a person aren't fully you, um, you know, there's still a lot of growing that we have to do uh, mentally, physically and all that. And realizing that basically now something that you are doing for fun uh, and to fulfill a creative itch has now become kind of a product and so forth. And you're, you're being told that something that you were deemed very good at is now being something that you're being told isn't commercial enough or whatever. And what that does to you as a person, given the fact that you have been doing the band and music for as long as you have and the career that you've had, 
how do you think all of this has changed you? And I guess adversely, what does the band and what does being an artist mean to you now versus maybe what it meant to you when you were younger? When I was really young, I just wanted to be rich and not be poor. Then when I got a teenager, maybe, I wanted to be rich and not be poor and um, people to like what I was doing. Like, uh, what is that? Validation, I guess. Yeah. And then as I became maybe a younger teen, I didn't care about either because desired results, bad, bad to, to have an attachment to, uh, I guess it's kind of sad to say, but I wasn't hopeful for what I wanted when I was a kid anymore, when I became a teenager, because I wasn't hopeful for anything anymore. So I didn't have faith or hope or kind of like a kind of dreams kind of dissolved, you know, and I didn't have expectations and I didn't have, um, these other types of things, you know, I, I still had goals, but I never woke up to the idea that this is a career or a job. I don't put myself in, in the category with the rest of these people. That's this, the Red Queen song is, is about that. I don't, I'm, that ain't, this ain't me. This isn't, this isn't what's going on. I'm not participating. So when you say you could hear from someone that what you're doing is not commercial enough, I guess it could ruin your life if you care. But when you care about nothing, um, I'm not putting all that in other people's hands, you know? I'm not leaving it up to someone else if, uh, if I'm going to be able to get through the day or not. Does that make any sense? It does. Anything can ruin your life if you care, if you place that type of emphasis on it. But I've made it a careful point to not place emphasis on anything, which sounds sad. <laughs> but again, I keep keep saying it, but the, the, the latest video, the song, I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, oh, it sounds like you're really feeling yourself. And, and I just say, well, the first lines of the song are my shitty hair and my shitty clothes. I'm from a shithole. Like, where do I start feeling myself at? Right. I'm, I'm basically saying, I'm not saying any of this. Uh, when, when it says I don't play nice to pay rent, I own all my shit. I'm just talking about these other clowns that tuck their tail between the legs because what they're doing is a career and their whole mortgage and their whole family does rely on them selling CDs or being nice to people or not getting shows canceled. Da, 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 da. And that's cool. And they can continue to do that, but don't put me in that. That ain't me. I I've never, I've never acted 
that way and I've never presented myself as a person that is entertaining that kind of shit that's what the song is about it's like yeah you guys have your have your little rat race and your little world and your little universe it's it's fine um but that's y'all's it's not it's not ever going to be mine i don't care how successful or how much of a failure i become i'm not going to um i'm not looking to get commended for it either because i don't want to be commended for for being this way either because the people that feel the same way that I'm saying I feel right now, I don't like them either. They, they are not the same either. You know, it's kind of like, don't champion what I'm saying because I also don't like you. I don't like the other side of the coin either. Hmm. I'm indifferent to either side. Does that make sense? It does. I feel like the thing that just kind of is an interesting talking point at times is almost the fragility of what that what it can do to somebody when you're like I said you're not even necessarily sure of who you are you're you're still figuring that out and maybe you're putting stock in the wrong things but I think ultimately it's no secret I mean the industry is a very at times horrible fucking thing that will just chew you up and spit you out and go on to the next person and have no real regard for anything. I mean, kind of not on, on point, but I think definitely kind of is on point is you look at Millie Vanilli motherfucker killed himself because of the shame and embarrassment of them lip syncing and not writing their own music and shit. And the shame and embarrassment it's brought that, that dude over his, short career and his life after that. That's all he was known for. But the thing we forget is there are people, real life people involved in this and who are just trying to do the best that they can to have a life, to live a dream, to be, as you said uh, several times on the podcast, the one in a million of a million at times, depending on how far you can go. And to see how, it just will fuck you up like that is something that I don't think necessarily that people either want to talk about or do openly talk about. And I think it is something that you have um, throughout your career and in the press you've done. And so it just kind of was one of those things to me where, you know, I, I do, and maybe it's because I've been, you know, and I know you're not, you know, big on social media, but something that's interesting to me at times is seeing, you know, on Facebook where it'll pull up something from nine years ago. And sometimes you read something you wrote, whether it be in a journal or whatever, I guess it has the same effect, but you read something and you're like, fuck, I should have listened to myself nine years ago. Cause I'm still doing the same shit. Or sometimes you might look at it and go, man, that was actually considering how young I was, that was actually a pretty profound idea or statement that I made. And at times I just feel like maybe I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, it's interesting to kind of look back at times and, and see where you have gone. If you have, hopefully you have and progressed. Um, and I feel like the industry at, at times preys on those that are younger because they don't have real life experiences yet to, to draw from, to make informed decisions. Mm. And I guess that's kind of maybe where the question stems from is just kind of thinking more of it like that of, 
you know, how has it changed you? How have you noticeably, how have you noticeably, ah, why can't I come up with that word? How have you noticed that it has changed you in a more, in a very noticeable way, I guess. Cause I think that's interesting. There's a few parts to it, but again, going back to the, the song we just released, when it says I'm from the Midwest, industry ain't make me. I'm not who they want me to be. That's why they hate me. They, I was going to say something funny, but it was like a slipknot lyric. <laughs> they can only destroy what they create. So when the way that you talk about it, I, I don't agree with the way you say it because, yes, the industry will hunt and kill anyone that lets it. But you don't blame that. Um, Millie Vanilli had problems. It, and you're saying the same thing, but there's, there's a little small little difference because you're willing the idea. I feel like you were kind of on the right path when you say, you know, you check a Facebook and nine years ago, you, you learn from it. And I have a, a little talking piece about it, about uh, reading the same book you've already read because sometimes the book reads you and you'll find things in there that you didn't find last time. And each time you read it will be a new time because you're a new person. If you read it with, with a little bit of time between it. Hmm. So I don't think anyone talks about it because it's such a subjective thing to where when I say I'm, I'm, I'm glad when people get ripped off because it's Darwinism, part of me believes that when an industry takes advantage of you, you let it happen. It's, it's not a rape, you know, like no one is forcing you to do anything. Be, because you overlooked uh, maybe something in a contract and because you were desperate, these are your errors. They're the industry trying to get one over. You know what I mean? Like I live in the streets. Everyone tries to get over on you on everything because they're trying to get whatever it is for themselves. That's not a personal thing. Um, the industry is innate. It's an object that doesn't even exist. So to anthropomorphize it like it's a character that's evil, it doesn't make any sense because it, it, it's, it's, it's an inanimate object. It doesn't, it doesn't have a personality, a characteristic. It's just as honorable as it, it is as it is dishonorable. There's, there's just as many people singing its praises that are, that are cursing it. I don't think people talk about it because they have to go back and identify. I, I did that because I was desperate. Hmm. I did that because I was ignorant. I did that because I didn't know better. I let this person take advantage of me because I wouldn't stick up for myself. Um, I did this because I had no other thing to do in my life. I had no other options. Why did that is also your fault. I never, I don't sing the, the industry's praises. I couldn't give a fuck less if it ended tomorrow, but I don't like shouldering. Uh, I don't like foregoing uh, accountability because when you make it not your fault, you'll never fix it. You become a, a you, it becomes your master essentially that has dominion over you. And that's just that, you know, I'm reminded of like stupid stories, like the power lifter that blames everything on jeans. Well, 
yes, if you blame, if you blame the invisible God, that is genes that cannot be defeated and never will be defeated, you will always lose. And I think that is today. That is the diagnosis of today. I think everything in this world today is a witch hunt. All of these things that people are after, whether it be in news, current events, modern, modern media, anything, what they've done is create an invisible boogeyman that can't be defined, seen, heard, or defeated. It can only be interpreted as whatever and battled by the good guys. And of course, the bad guys are all for the, the invisible boogeyman that can't be defined. Hmm. And one side's on one side and the other's on the other. But I think it's an invisible enemy. I, when people say the industry, more times than not, you're talking about a bad stigma or an, an evil connotation. It's never just an indifferent, the industry. It's always the evil industry. And I think that's some sissy shit. I think I hear grown fucking men that are millionaires sit around online talking about how the industry's taking advantage of X, Y, and Z. And it's so hard out here. And I just think you're a pussy. Uh, maybe I'm not a good person, but have some accountability. Um, if someone took advantage of you, yes, guess what? They're going to do it again. Someone else will take advantage of you in life. Just recognize it and, uh, and, and don't let it happen again. And then, you know, it, it will happen again. And then you'll learn from that one and become a little bit wiser and then it'll happen again. That's how life works. The, everyone takes advantage of everyone. There are some mutual relationships, you know, there's some parasitic relationships. They're all different types of relationships, but I don't like the blame game. I don't like what I call the undefinable. Uh, it, it, it just feels like a witch hunt. You're creating an enemy that you can't see, hear, or define, and that no one agrees on as well. The, the, the strange things about these, these invisible like boogeyman things, like the industry, is when you ask six different people to define the industry, you get six subjective experiences, none of which have anything in common. Most of which um, are, I have no experience with the industry besides as a consumer or a fan. So what do you do with that person? Right. 98% of people, by the way, you know, you have one person creating a record that, you know, millions of people listen to. That's not a good teeter-totter kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, um, I stay away from the witch hunts, I guess. I think that's uh, as good of any really as a place to kind of wrap this up. Uh, I feel mm -hmm. like I could bullshit with you for a while longer, but I know uh, I've taken up a lot of your time already. I uh, just want to say thank you for taking uh, the time to to chat um really excited for everyone to hear the record which as of when we're talking comes out tomorrow um any last uh thoughts or anything before uh, we end i've done enough damage <laughs> well thank you again and enjoy the rest of your evening thanks Sean. thank you so that was my conversation with david gunn if you would like to see this 
Uh, you can head over to our YouTube channel. We actually uh, recorded it uh, during you know the stream yard that we basically use for our live uh, live cast that some people are watching currently. And uh, you can see it. Um, it's unedited. I didn't fuck with any of it. And I honestly didn't even... I edited out the part where my camera cut out on the audio version that you're going to be hearing. But other than that, it is completely 100% unedited. Uh, that's how David actually likes his podcast to be. It's a one take, one shot, no, no corrections, no fixes, no nothing. And I kind of feel like there's something kind of more powerful in that, uh, especially in this chat with some of the stuff that we talk about. There were a few times toward the end, I thought maybe I was putting my foot in my mouth, but I think overall the fact that, uh, like he said in the very beginning, if uh, he didn't like it or whatever, then he would just fucking leave. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, well, see ya. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this is one that I have thought about doing for a while. And I just was very intimidated the whole time to have him on. And I mean, Dan can attest. I probably spent the better part of the two days before I knew we were doing it, uh, freaking out and just kind of going like, how, how do I fucking start? Where's my entry point? What do I talk about? And then I finally just realized I should just be honest and just try to have a conversation and not try to ask him a set of narrative questions and just kind of go from there. So yeah, that was an excellent point, John, that I didn't actually hear. Uh, well, how about we make it easier? Because, like I said, the interview was a little bit long, and uh, Dan's having some connection issues. So uh, let's get right to the plugs and end this conversation. Uh, if you would like to keep up with King, it's simple enough. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, King810Flint. And if you'd like to go and buy any of their merch or buy the new record, you can go to king810.bigcartel.com. If you would like to keep up with David, he only has an Instagram account. It's dkgungunn. You'll see all that in the show notes. And uh, outside of that, Dan will tell you where he can be found. Yeah, it can be found on Facebook under, now this is really important, Daniel Terry. <laughs> I can be found on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. You can find me over on Twitch if you're not watching me right there. I honestly don't know if it anybody on twitch can even see me right now um but uh i stream on twitch two times a week and uh, you can find my other podcast discuss metal and discography discussion at discussmetal.com. and for all things this podcast it's simple enough go to brewspeakpod.com it'll be your official landing page for everything this podcast and uh Wrapping it up real quickly, you can also find our sponsors, Bean Bastard. You can go there, beanbastard.com, get some delicious coffee. Facebook and Instagram, at the Bean Bastard. Head on over to onpointpalmade.com. Use our code BSP15 and get 15% off your total purchase order. Keep your hair and beard looking on point. Might have a little ad thing I created that we might be popping up in the next couple of days. And uh, last but not least is rockabilia.com. And I actually just saw that they got some new Fear Factory merch, uh, some scarves and some other stuff. So uh, they have over 500,000 items in their online store. If you head on over there and use our code BREW15, you'll get 15% off your total purchase order. Head on over to rockabilia.com, support the band, support us. Everything's officially licensed through the band. So not only are you supporting Rockabilia, you're supporting the band as well and during these tough COVID times that is a win-win for everybody and for the Brutally Speaking Podcast I am John and I am Dan and we will talk to you all next week